God, we thank you for another opportunity to come before you, uh, to read your word. And God, I pray that this word would draw us closer to you. Because God, we know uh, that the point of a sermon, the point of your word is not to learn more, but it is to draw deeper, uh, God. So in the name of Jesus, I say, amen. And so today, if you are taking notes, uh, today's message is called Not a Theoretical Love. Um, as in not a love that's... Um, Fake, not a love that it, you shouldn't look like you love God. You should just love God, uh, right? You know, I didn't do this on purpose, but I noticed it on the drive here. My my wife bought me bought me this necklace of uh, what, like three or four years ago now, huh, dear? Time flies. Um, and, and and it's a it's a Latin term. It says esse quam videri, and it means to be rather than to seem. And I, I bought it because I wanted that reminder, like, don't seem like a thing, be a thing, uh, right? And so, like, the point of Christianity is not to seem like a Christian. It's, it's to be a Christian. It's not to seem like a child of God. It's, it's to be a child of God, right? And when I say that seem, I'm not saying, like, like I've heard that saying, like, fake it till you make it, but I don't agree, uh, right? I just, I don't think faking anything is good for the soul. I think honesty and brutality and, and the tears and, and the, the emotions and just really getting open with someone about what's holding you back is probably the key to a lot of breakthrough in our lives. Uh, you know, we're Protestants. Uh, I'm a Protestant. Uh, this church is uh, a Protestant church. We like to say evangelical. It's more positive, uh, but a Protestant. And, uh, and something that we have walked away from as a Protestant church is um, confession. Right? We don't talk about it enough. We don't engage with it enough. But if you look in scripture, it is something very important to the soul of the Christian. Uh, that's not part of my sermon. It's just free. It just kind of happened in my heart while I was saying, like, as we, we, we talk about this message today, the response to it shouldn't be that was good. The response should be... Uh, an openness and an honesty before God of areas where maybe we fall short and a gratitude before God's in areas that he has strengthened us to stand strong in the areas he's called us to. Uh, amen. And because this love, again, it is not theoretical. If you're not getting anything out of church, you really are wasting your time. But I would argue that if we don't get anything out of church, it's because we're not engaging, not because church isn't offering something worthy of eating. Uh, right, so the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good, and I think for many people, we've seen people taste and see, and we've responded to their faith or their stirring, but have we tasted, uh, right, and so uh, there's a story we're going to look at from three different directions today, and it's the greatest commandment. Uh, I got to tell you, I was really wondering about this message. I, I wrote it uh, not for you guys. I wrote it for my church, and I wrote a different sermon for you guys, and then I didn't get to preach this at my church, and God told me to throw away the sermon I wrote for you guys and preach this one. And so I, I w rolled in today being like, God, is this really it? Is this really you? And uh, in the back, of the uh, your pastors pray together, and uh, um, one of the lovely ladies of the house who, boom, right there, um, sang a song with the group, and the song is my sermon in a nutshell. And so I felt like it was God's confirmation. Uh, woman of God, uh, you're looking around, but look at me. Uh, you hear from the Lord. God talks to you, and he talks through you. And I think they're, they're in the boldness of saying, I know what God has spoken. You'll give a lot of people breakthrough. Uh, your voice brings breakthrough. Your voice brings peace to people. And uh, I, I definitely had a storm in me that got quelled the moment you began to sing. And so thank you. Um, so if you got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 22. 
and we're going to read from verse 34 to 40. Uh, I'm going to say unapologetically, I brought some Bible today. Uh, we're going to read some Bible verses. We're going to go through scripture. We're hitting Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not John. <laughs> but we're hitting First John a lot. So uh, all the gospel writers get to be involved in today's uh, sermon. Uh, but Matthew 22, and we're going to go from verse 34 to 40. And let's mosey on. All right. I love the moving background. I got to tell you, we're stealing that. Um, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, who's he? Jesus. <clears throat> who's he? Jesus. Who's he? Jesus. All right. Third time. There we go. He silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, it's always good, asked him a question to test him. This is great. I think if a lawyer asked me a question about the church, I'd be, I'd be freaking out in that moment. I'd be like, I'm about to get got, and I don't even know what I'm getting got for. Uh, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Amen? Amen. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen? Amen. Um, you probably have heard this story. You probably know this one. This one's a big one for us. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a go-to Bible story in Scripture because it, it really it, it gets to the heart of the matter. We love God and we love each other and that's it. And as long as you genuinely in your heart, not theoretically and not pretend to, but actually do it in your heart, you really will fulfill the scripture that God has for you. You really will fulfill your calling. You really will. You won't have to work. What is my calling? You won't have to, to figure out what your role is to play. If you just look for ways to love, you'll actually just land where you're supposed to be, right? Um, I think we overcomplicate the beauty of the gospel because the gospel is not complicated, um, we can just make it complicated. And there are depths to it that are beautiful and lovely, but the gospel itself is something a child can intake. And actually, I think in a lot of ways, we grow out of it when we shouldn't, right? Uh, but I also think an important thing about this story is this story is told two other times, right? Uh, it's in Luke and in Mark. And in Luke and in Mark, we see two different people respond. So something about the story you got to know is that Jesus probably taught this uh, sermon multiple times throughout his career, right? So across several years, across his three years of ministry, he probably preached this multiple times. And the reason why we know is because we see different people responding in different ways and Jesus teaching it slightly differently throughout scripture, uh, right? And so I want to show you another time that Jesus preached this exact same sermon. And that's going to be in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be in verse 25 to 29, and honestly, we can just jump right in. Uh, and, and behold, a lawyer, that's another lawyer, but probably the same lawyer. I, I think Matthew and Luke might actually be the same story, but who knows, right? There's a lot of lawyers. Um, stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to notice that word test that I read, right? He's putting Jesus to the test. Verse 26. <laughs> and he said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. It's the same sermon. He's teaching the same lesson again. All right. And, uh, and he said to him, this is the lawyer. Uh, sorry, the, the lawyer is responding to Jesus. So he's probably heard the sermon, right? And Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Right? And the lawyer's response is, but he, desiring to justify himself. Who justifies you? Jesus. But he's desiring to justify himself, so he's testing Jesus, and he's justifying himself. Right? And, and he said, who is my neighbor? Now, I'm not going to go on. We know the story. Jesus looks at this man, and he tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what you'll notice about this lawyer is this lawyer walks away without embracing the gospel. So he heard the same message, the same life-giving message. But to him, it was all theoretical. To him, it was all law. To him, it was all rules. To him, there was no heart. And so for him, it was all about testing and justification. Now, in the exact same story, Mark chapter 12 Sorry, not the exact same story, but Jesus is preaching the exact same sermon. Mark chapter 12 will be in verse 28 to 34. I want to compare these two men. I want to compare this lawyer to the scribe. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, now we're getting into fun stuff. This is the Shema, right? He's quoting it. Uh, so we know it's a different story. We know it's a different uh, time, but he's telling the same parable, the same sermon to people, right? And so it's like, how often does Jesus preach the same message, but some people walk away changed and some people don't? Right, because there is something to our response to God that is radically important. Uh, we are laying groundwork here so we can talk about the stuff we really want to talk about. And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And so one man seeking to justify himself misses the whole point. And another man seeking truth, finding Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are not far from the kingdom. 
And something that I would like to point out between the two people is, again, one man was trying to justify himself. But when the scribe said, Jesus, you answered well, he began to respond back by saying how great God was. The scribe was seriously seeking at God. Now, he didn't know yet the God he was seeking was Jesus, but because he was seeking honestly and sincerely, he was right by the kingdom, and he was being loved on by the kingdom. All right, and so there's this concept of legalism versus faith of the heart, and this is something that I think theologians and I think church history and church fathers have argued about and talked about for all of time, of like, like, we don't follow Jesus because we're supposed to follow Jesus. Biblically, we're supposed to follow Jesus because we're in love with him. And the only way we can be in love with him is if we have first engaged his love. Does that make sense? And I actually read a really cool con uh, a church father, because I've been going through a lot of church history lately. And a church father actually wrote in like the 5th century. And he wrote this, this uh, saying, he said, uh, I believe in the end time he was dealing with First uh, John, which we'll be dealing with today a little bit. And First John talks a lot about the Antichrists, right, and, and, and Antichrist doctrine and stuff like that. And this church father wrote that I believe in the end time it won't be the theologians who know that they're face-to-face -face with false theology. It'll be with those who love God the most. He said that no amount of theology will save us from this spiritual deception that's coming. He goes, but knowing God intimately will protect me from all forms of evils. Uh, right? And so again, this love should not be theoretical. It should not be that you can recite from top to bottom. We are not Jewish. We are Christian. And Jesus came along and he really did shake up the scene a little bit. He really did challenge the presuppositions. And, you know, you've probably heard this, but it's worth saying that Jesus says that if you, the words, the, the commands say that if you murder someone, you have sinned. But I say if you've looked at a brother with hatred in your heart, you've sinned. Right? He, he elevated this thing. Because what did he say? He said, he said it's not the, what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out which is my good plug for Halloween, eating Halloween candy won't defile you. You know what I'm saying? But someone cursed it, but it not goes within that will defile you. There's no power in that. Uh, Jesus took all curses, so no one can throw them on me. Uh, but what comes out can defile me, uh, right? So, like, you know, you see Paul talking about that in the Bible. He goes, you guys can eat meat that was sacrificed to pagan idols. It doesn't matter. But how are you loving people? And that's like his pushback, right? And that's his challenge. And so we see this thing that Jesus comes, and he addresses the inner man. He cares about your soul. He cares about your feelings. He cares, he cares about how you think about things. He cares about the way you process things. That's why the Bible says love God with all your mind, right? Do you love God with all of your mind? Because I think that's kind of challenging and dare I say impossible if not for the fact that I lean on the Holy Spirit and he teaches me to love God as I ought, uh, right? Amen? Hallelujah? Bless God? <laughs> And so really to get to the crux of what was on my heart for this church today is all of this stuff comes with a, with a presupposition, right? The implication of love God is because he loves you, right? And so in a sense, these two commandments actually have three steps. Recognize the love of God, love him in return, and then love the people, Right? And if everything stems out of love, if everything stems out of relationship, um, 
I think we can say that sometimes the way we engage with God, the way we think about God, the way that we engage with each other, or sometimes the way we even do church isn't drawing us closer to him. It's drawing us closer to certain programs and circumstances and, and, and the way we do things, which can't be more important than the God we're doing it for. Right? Um, but, I, you know, it, it's funny. I think when I was a younger Christian, and I said younger, um, <laughs> I'm turning 30, but to a lot of people, that's, to me, if you're in your 20s, like, that's the end of the world. It's game over, right? Like, I'm turning 30. It's over. I'm old now. Uh, but, but maybe a lot of people in my church have informed me that's not true. So I'll say younger, not young, right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, when I was younger, I, I went to a church that was a really big, really booming, a really like like mega church, right? And and I really experienced what I would call a seeker friendly formula. And in that, it's kind of like you'll preach one one verse, and they'll really preach that verse for like four or five weeks, and it'll really be more storytelling driven than Bible driven, and it, it draws people into like a like you're awesome and you're great and you're wonderful and just keep doing it, and as long as you're blessed, things are good. Like a very American take on an Easter religion, and um, and my I think my response to that, which I don't think that's the correct way to do church or to preach the word or to engage with God at all, but I think my response to that was to go in the exact opposite direction, right? Oh, they talk about love too much, but where's sin, and where's hell, and where's all that, right? And then you go in that direction, and then you find Reformed theology, and I spent a long time in Reformed theology, because they know their Bible, but I don't know how much they, they're loving on God very often, right? Um, <laughs> And then, and then I'm starting to level out <laughs> in Jesus' name, bless God. Uh, you spend time with him, and then he's like, hey, you know, maybe mercy is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> but as I begin to level out, I begin to realize that it's like, wait, I, I think these guys were right, but they, but they should have preached it like these guys, yeah. right? Because when I start to realize, well, the Bible talks about hell more than it talks about heaven, that's not true. It uses the word hell more than heaven, but it does not talk about hell more than heaven. Because if heaven really is me and God, right? Heaven's not a place necessarily because the Bible teaches that heaven and earth are going to collide and we're going to do a whole thing. And this earth is going to actually become the heaven that we kind of live in. Depends on your eschatology, I guess, but that's my take on it, um, right? So it, it seems to me that whenever God tells us about the kingdom, whenever God tells us about him wanting to dwell with us, when he talks about his love, He's actually drawing us to the point of all this, right? And to me, it seems that whenever Jesus taught about sin, he always led people back to the kingdom. Because his response to sin wasn't, you sinners, repent, although repent, right? His response was, if you're sinning because you don't know him, so come know him and then you will repent, right? And that, that's a really important step. The Bible says that faith, hope, and love is good things he gave us, but the greatest is love, right? The Bible says that we know love because love is from God, First John, right? The Bible says that I am convinced that no, neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities, blah, 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 all the things, depending on your translation, will say, but none of this will separate us from the love of of God. John 3:16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now hear that word, who was the lover? It wasn't Jesus, it was the Father. Yeah. 
So this weird take that in the Old Testament, God was angry. In the New Testament, he's happy now because of Jesus. That's not the case because the Bible makes it clear that love came from the Father. And that Jesus says, I love you because I've seen the Father loving you. Right? This whole thing's been about love. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's an Old Testament verse. Have you read the story of Hosea? When his wife cheats on him and leaves, and God says, go take her back as I will take Israel back. That's not judgment. That's love. Why did Jonah flee from the message God had for him? Because he says, if I preach this message, they'll repent and you'll have mercy on them. Jonah didn't want, Jonah was the angry, wrathful one. God was the loving, peaceful one. And these are Old Testament verses. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He killed the animal and he covered them. And when Cain was about to kill his brother, what did God do? He didn't wait for him to do it. He showed up and he says, hey, I see what's going on in your heart. Sin is crouching at your door. Do not open it. He showed him love and he met him before his sin. And then once he murdered his brother, God met him again and marked him. And we like to call it the curse of Cain. The Bible says it's the mark of Cain so that none would kill him. It was mercy. It's always been love from the start. It's never not been. And when, when uh, God comes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you a people. And he says, that people may bless the whole world. Yeah, he had a covenant with Israel, and Israel is his covenant people, but he always intended for Israel to bless the whole world because it was always about everyone. Why did he even pick Israel? Because he wanted his people to come from a barren woman to prove a point, right? Hey, Abraham, your wife can't have children. I'm going to birth my nation from that. It was just love. And Abraham questions God, and God listened to him. He's like, don't get mad, but and, and Abraham, God is going to blow up a city, and he saves that city. No, he doesn't. He saves some people in the city because one man in love cried out, and God hears that love, and he responds to it, right? Why did Israel sit in captivity for 200 years? Well, the Bible says because the iniquity of the Canaanites hadn't been fulfilled. You know what that means? It means that God was still giving the people in God's chosen land, an opportunity to repent so that he wouldn't kill them. 200 years, that's a lot of mercy. My kid has that on the count of three. <laughs> I didn't know if that joke was going to land. That was a good one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it's been love from the start. And then he put his Messiah on the scene. And it's not God's fault that the people misunderstood who the Messiah was supposed to be. And so John gets rejected in a village. And this is John the lover, the one who's laying on Jesus' chest. Oh, we love John. He's, he's sweet. That, even though the Bible calls him a son of thunder, but that's not important. Um, John is laying on the breast of, of Jesus. And then he gets up off of it, and the city rejects him. He says, God, let's call down fire and kill all of them. Not a, you know, I don't, is that story in the book of John? I don't know if it is. I think John might have omitted that one. Um, and he says it, but what has Jesus said to him? He says, you know neither the, the word of God or the spirit of God. 
He's like, why would you think that I would want to kill people for rejecting me? And it fundamentally shows how they considered the God of the Old Testament to be. And Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because that's not God. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So what you see Jesus is, is what God has always been. And that's why Ephesians says from the foundations of the earth, Christ was crucified. Right? Because the moment that God made man, he knew. And so Christ's death was already set in stone. Because he loved us and he always intended for a way for us to be with him. Right? So I want to take that concept and know that God is love. And I want to send you to a verse. And this might be where I derail. I don't know what time it is or what time, what time is church in? I got time? Okay. Because I'm not even on point one. Uh, so I'll try to... Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to go to 1 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 17 and 18. And I hope I get past this, but if I don't, this will still be a, a glorious concept to get stuck on. Okay? Um, and the concept that God is love, right? We know that 1 John... You know, actually, can we do 16 to 18? I think I gave them as two different sections, but we'll just do both. Here we go. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. What is God? Love. Right? God is love. There's, a, there's a, an old Orthodox church father who I love, and he said that to love is to imitate God. Because love is defined by God, not by the world. So when a Christian maybe believes something that the world doesn't believe, look at the gender identity crisis, look at homosexuality, look at abortion, look at these things that the church has very clear biblical stances on that sometimes are uncomfortable. And what is oftentimes the response to the Christian? You're not being loving. It's like, no, I am being loving because love defined these terms. You're not being loving because you want things on your terms. And that selfishness is fundamentally loveless, right? Um, and so it's like love is a Christian thing because we serve the God who defines love. And how does he define love? By his character, right? Who he is is love. And so as we get to know him, we get to know love, right? Okay. Uh, and whoever abides in love, who's love? So whoever abides in God abides in God. And God abides in him. This takes us right back to the garden. God, I pray that they would be one like you and I are one. And that we would, what does he say? He says that we would, they, they would abide in you. Abide in me and I in you. I love that section of scripture because it's such a hodgepodge. It's like, it's like I'm abiding in God and God's abiding in me and I'm abiding with you. And then you, God's abiding with God and I'm, you know. And it's everyone's abiding with everybody. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just, it's just love. Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says, but love is perfect. By this, love is perfected with us. By what? By abiding with love. So what, it's not saying anything besides to spend time with God perfects love in you. I've met many Christians that say, I don't feel very loving. And it's like, I, 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 I just made a biblical case that you probably aren't spending time with God. Or at least not enough. Because spending time with God isn't, I don't know, I, I don't think it's just sending out a prayer in the shower so you can, like, do more things with your time, right? Like, I, I, think, I think God really does call us to 
time with him. Alone time with him. Where this stuff matters because my relationship with him isn't theoretical. Now, imagine this kind of marriage. Let's say to my wife. I said to my wife, um, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to engage with you except for an hour and a half on Sundays. And in that hour and a half, you better blow my mind. And if I need something, I'll call you throughout the week. How long is that marriage going to last? But the truth is, many of us, that's our relationship with God. Right? And if, it, if the way you engage with God doesn't fit the way that a husband and wife should engage, draw deeper. Don't hear this as a rebuke. Hear this as an opportunity to draw deeper. Amen? Would my relationship with Jesus be considered a love affair? It should. But would it? Honestly, look into your heart and ask the question, because only you and God can answer that. The beautiful thing about God is that gap can be closed in an instant. He doesn't make you crawl back. Okay. Um, By this, love has been perfected with us. By spending time with God, abiding in God, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here's the verse I want to, I had like a lot more of a sermon, but let me just land the plane here because I think, I think I've talked long enough. Um, we can keep that up. I'm going to like call on that verse like 10 more times. We can just leave it there because I don't have it memorized. Um, I've heard so often throughout my life that perfect love casts out all fear. And that verse was always said to me in the sense of when you're scared, God will make you not scared. Which is true, but it's not what that verse is saying. Right? Or, or maybe it's like, well, if you're doing something that makes you fearful, that means the love of God's not in you. It was used as like a weapon. Right? This has been my experiences with that verse. But very rarely have I heard someone say, no, what this verse is saying is God's love can be so real to you that you don't even fear judgment. And that's all it's saying. It's saying that perfect love casts out fear that knowing God's love for me, if I really knew it in my heart, I would not be fearful for his rejection. If you were in a hospital bed and you knew you only had a week left to live, would you wonder where you were going? You shouldn't. And this is, this is an honesty question. We can all say no, but when you're in the bed, that's when you know. Do you believe that God is coming for you, or do you kind of doubt that you'll wake up in those glorious hillsides? And so what God is saying is, come abide with me more. I want to take that fear from you. Or maybe in a different sense of like, when you sin, do you feel welcome to run back into God's presence? Or do you feel like you have to spend some time living right before you can come back? Because I will tell you that there was a point in my, scanning the room, uh, there was a point in my marriage, early on in my marriage, when I was very addicted to pornography. I was stuck on it every single day. And you know what helped me break free of it besides finally being honest with my wife and that, you know, be honest, guys? 
But you know what really helped me break out of it? Was when I finally learned after that event, I didn't have to wait until I felt better to come pray to God. The breakthrough happened when I finally would just pull back and go straight to my knees. When God began to remove the need to act a certain way, it, it made me act a certain way. <laughs> when I stopped needing to live sinless, I suddenly had a better relationship between me and sin. I felt stronger to deny the sins that tempted me. When I stopped trying so hard to deny the sins that tempted me, and I instead put my effort into loving God. It's, I think it's easy to not cheat on my wife because I'm focused on loving her. But if I was focused on being faithful, where's my mind all the time? It's on the temptation, right? But I just think she's awesome. Why, why would I do something like that? She's great. And then suddenly it's, it's easy. Not that I ever really had that temptation. My wife's hot, so I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, that, was, that should not have made that joke. That was a youth pastor joke. Just flew out of me. Um, but this church father, Father Spiridon, he said, after he said that to love is to imitate God, he said that we are transformed by the love and presence of God. It is the healing of the image of God within us. Now, there is some um, orthodox theology in that sentence, so we don't take it all at face value. But this concept as the more I love God, because the more I realize his love towards me and the more I love others, suddenly I just begin to look like Jesus. Suddenly I just begin to act like him. And to me, it's like Christianity isn't a philosophy. It's a response. Right, and there is cool philosophy in it. I'm a theologian, I'm a nerd, I love, I love all that stuff. I, I've said it before, I read the Bible for fun. You know, uh, there's a lot in there and it does go deep, but first things have to always be first. And I know many people who read the Bible because they feel like God would be mad at them if they don't, not because they want to read the Bible. And there's something to gain from honesty. And there's something to gain from sincerity and what I would say is sincerely and honestly if my engagements with God aren't sincere that should be the first thing I deal with right whatever addiction maybe you're wrestling with you're not going to overcome it in the fighting of the temptation to be honest I know how many times I've walked up to God with the truth of being like God I I know I'm supposed to want this but I don't and there's a lot of freedom in that. And, and God already knows that. And there's been a lot of freedom in, in calling mentors and pastors or, 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 or people who are doing ministry with me and being like, guys, like, like, here's how I feel. You know, all the things that pastors aren't supposed to say, but saying them to people. There's freedom in that. Saying it to God, there's freedom in that. Not pretending. I mean, I don't know how often I go to my secret place acting like I have to act away. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. It's not leading to any kind of breakthrough in your life. It might lead to the appearance of breakthrough, but it won't lead to breakthrough. I don't know if I've told the story here before, but if I haven't, 
It's your first time. If I have, you get to hear it again. Um, there's a story of a, of a man, and, and what this man would do is he would, it was his job, this is before technology, those, the dark ages, right? <laughs> like 50 years ago. Um, <laughs> well, I just couldn't text someone. I had to like go find my wife. I couldn't just text her. Um, when uh, it was his job to watch the train tracks at a certain juncture, right? Maybe you've heard the story, but, and what his job was is if there was some kind of something blocking that juncture and a train was coming, it was his job to run out with a lantern and wave the lantern, and the lantern would communicate to the train conductor, stop, there's something ahead, you're gonna die. <laughs> and so it gives him time to stop safely in time. Um, but one day the man was busy, he got distracted by something, and he looks up and he sees a train coming and he sees debris in the way. And so quickly he, he runs and he grabs his lantern and, and he runs out with his lantern and he waves it and the, the train conductor doesn't see it. It's two last second and there's a collision and there were no survivors in the train accident. And so there was a court case to see if this man was at fault. And the man tells the story I just told you. And the judge looks at him, kind of not believing him, and says, sir, did you really wave your lantern? And he said, he said yes, sir, I, I waved my lantern. And the judge, again, the judge just does not believe him. And he's like, sir, did you wave your lantern? And the man replies back, a little less confident. Yeah, I, I waved my lantern. And one last time, the judge says, sir, this is your last chance to be honest. For your conscience sake, did you wave the lantern? And the man, basically just whispering under his breath, said, yeah, I, I waved the lantern. And so he got away free. And as he was going away free, later a friend who had seen the court case talks to him and says, did you wave the lantern? He's like, yeah, I, I waved the lantern. And he's like, why did, you see less, why did you seem less confident every time the judge asked you if you waved the lantern? And he said, because I didn't have enough time to light it. And so he, he kept the letter of the law, but there was no light. There was no heart. And I sincerely, when I heard that story in a theology textbook almost 10 years ago, I remember my heart leapt in me, being like, how many of us are waving some religious lantern? But there's no light, right? And it's, it's like, I don't, I don't want... I don't want us to respond in a certain way because a message was preached a certain way. I feel so uncomfortable preaching this topic because to be totally honest, I think all of us are in different places with God. And if we're being honest, there are different ways we need to respond to God. And so, I mean, I talked to Pastor Dodger before the service. I honestly just want to do worship. I think I did that last time I was here. Um, but I just, every time I come into this building, I just feel like God wants to minister to you. He wants to dwell with you to spend time with you to get to know you so that what what we're waving on a Sunday which is beautiful my wife said the same thing she goes from the moment I walked in the building today she's like I just wanted to cry and it wasn't a bad thing it was the presence of God is here yeah. and, and he wasn't here because 
the Henrys were coming to service. He, he's been here. He's always here. Which, what a great sentence. For 75 years, the presence of God has been loved on and cultivated in this building. But can I tell you that sometimes in my experience, because our church is similar, although only four years, where the love of God is very present. And so there are times where I can conflate I'm seeing God clearly in the room to I am clearly engaging God. And that's not the same thing. Right? I mean, to be honest, there are many of you in this room today who have been in the room with me all day, and for one reason or another, we haven't said hi to each other. That's not a knock. How would I say hi to everyone? It's a busy morning. But what I mean is presence in a room does not equate relationship in a room. Right? God's here. And I think his presence is an invitation. And his love is an invitation. The cross is an invitation. And to, like I said, I don't know the stories in this room, but I don't feel directed to any kind of salvation message. I feel directed to a deepening message. But you'll only get what you give. And what I'm not saying is work for God's presence. I'm saying engage with it. It's easy during worship to sing words and not mean them. It's easy to sing karaoke. It's hard to engage with the words you're saying. But it doesn't have to be. Again, just because of a lot of people in a room are praying, it doesn't mean that I prayed, right? If someone prayed for me, it doesn't mean that I prayed. And there is a difference. And so just dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that we wouldn't respond to you like, a, like the lawyer seeking to justify ourselves or, or look a certain way or trying to parse your words so we can live with them on our own terms. But we can respond like the scribe. Like God, we know the kingdom is not far from us. The kingdom is alive within us. And God, I pray that our relationship with you wouldn't be mundane or, or theoretical, God. I pray that it would be real. It would be life-giving. Teach us to love you as you have loved us. Your word says that your kindness led me to repentance. So let me engage with that kindness again, God. Teach us the pleasure of quiet moments with you. God, I pray people in this room would begin waking up earlier with the conviction to seek you. That God, sometimes the, the worship playlist is a distraction that we can, we can sit in silence and see you, God. Yes. God, I pray things would be real. In your name I pray, amen. I think I'm a... I've been... 
like overwhelmed in a good way <laughs> for about a month now. And uh, this is like one of the hardest messages I've ever written because I know I don't have the, uh, the words or the eloquence to communicate this message in a way that would be life-changing. But it's because there, there's so much depth to this. And I do think that there are certain levels with God that words cannot express. And I think that's why Peter said, sometimes it's about tasting. And uh, I don't know. I, if, uh, if anything in this word, I mean, they're going to play worship. If, during any part of this worship set, if you want prayer, I, I asked Pastor Dodgel, and I, I want to ask my wife as well. Um, and if your wife comes back, we'll still her as well. Uh, but if you need prayer for anything about this word, migrate from your seat to the front so I can just know who I'm praying for. But I would still encourage all of you to engage God. And my commitment to you is I will stay until I've prayed with every person. I will stay until every person's been prayed with by a pastor. Amen. Um, if anything in this word clicked, if it's like, you know what, God, I know that I love you, but God's calling me deeper. I would love to pray with you. If it's, you know, I don't even know if I know him, I, I want to pray with you. If it's, you know, I do fear the presence of God. I want to pray with you. I think of the, the story of uh, my daughter, although it's, I've heard someone talk about a similar story before. When, when my, sorry, my son, when my son was real little and, uh, and he threw up all over himself, you know, and he was crying and I walked in the room and he was completely covered in vomit. And what does he do? He raises his arms up like a kid does. And what did I do? picked them up you know like good fathers pick up their children and they don't say clean yourself up and then I'll pick you up you know it's like the way that I've heard it said is like I picked him up because I'm his dad and I'm bigger than that and it's just like I think a lot of you need to have that experience with God where he picks you up not because you deserved it I mean we hit the song like the last song, it's the, song, the, the word, what does it say? It talks about the love of Jesus is to, to my undeserving soul. It's like the only reason that you deserve it is because God said so. And short of that, it is something we didn't earn, we didn't deserve, we didn't gain, we didn't work for. But the beauty of that is if I didn't earn it, I can't, I can't be the one who unearns it. The door is open. Amen. I don't know what song you're going to do. I hear a lot about hardness of heart, too. So I, I've, been, I've been feeling that a lot. That we, we feel okay with our anger. That it's, it's right to be mad about this. It's right to be upset about this. This person deserves blank. or that. Uh, if that's you, please get prayer with me as well, or Pastor Dodgel. Because I'm, I'm thinking of that last, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that love doesn't have a qualifier. And so if there are people that you don't love because you've qualified, it is not God. And it's not the love that you learned. Not from him. Amen? All right. Love you guys. Let's go worship.